Hi, and welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and here joining us for the usual weekend roundup on a wonderful Easter Sunday, uh, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call, editor-at-large, and our favorite former federal prosecutor and knowledgeable of everything of the law. He mm-hmm. is <laughs> Michael Zeldin. So, <laughs> Michael, John, glad to have you with us again this week. Tonight, today, we're talking about uh, Donald Trump's indictment and his positive Easter message. Uh, <laughs> we'll unpack that for a bit. Did it happen this week? It seems like it happened months ago. Um, can Jim Jordan be charged in New York City for interfering in a criminal case? Clarence Thomas and his Nazi connection. Uh, the liberals take over the Wisconsin court. Joe Biden, where is he and what's he saying and what's he not saying? And finally, climate change and baseball. I don't know. I always thought it was steroids and juice in the bat. But we have all that to unpack and so much more, plus your letters. So stick around. It's just ask the question. And we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman, with us talking about our uh, the week in review, our two favorite people on the subject, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And of course, we're going to start out with Donald Trump, who got indicted this week and immediately began fundraising off of it, uh, including sending out the fake pictures of a mugshot that didn't occur and putting it on mugs, black and white mugs, and T-shirts, and selling it to his his uh, favorite people. And for only $47, you'll get a donate $47, get a free mug or a free T-shirt. That's our damn Donald. So he sends out a happy Easter message today to all, including those that dream endlessly of destroying our country because they are incapable of dreaming about anything else. I don't even know how to start with that. Christ Jesus. Uh, on an Easter Sunday, no less. But he was indicted this week. He's using it for fundraising. He says it's helping him in the polls and destroying his GOP challengers. And we'll start with you, John, because Michael's got up to get a tissue. But because, but no, but seriously, we want to start with you because you've been covering it. And you and I both were in the, the Trump White House you think it does helping? Well, he is fundraising off of it. The polls or the Rasmussen polls, I don't know how accurate those are. 
and this mm. GOP challengers. So have at it. Was it just Tuesday that he was arraigned? I know. <laughs> it, it feels like at least two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, not that anything, uh, not that anything major really happened after he got back on his private 757 and, and flew back to Mar-a-Lago, including his remarks that evening from South Florida. Uh, and he seemed upset and very tired. And he flew to New York to be arrested and arraigned. I mean, who wouldn't be upset and tired? Uh, he wasn't himself Tuesday night. Uh, he was he was he was even more sour and negative than usual, focused on the past. And and he was really focused on all the other possible charges than the ones <laughs> he had just been handed in a Manhattan courtroom. <laughs> So this is all clearly eating at, at, at Trump and, and he can throw all of the, well, his former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, flood the zone with shit. And, and Trump can certainly try to do that. He did some of that this week, um, but he's, he's clearly upset. This has clearly gotten to him and, and not a lot has over the years. He's got an ability to stiff arm everything and, and change the subject, hard to change the subject now. And yes. it, but it is helping him. It does look like it's helping him fundraising wise. Uh, he's even reportedly reaching out to Ron DeSantis's some of his would be and and already donors and saying basically that this has helped me so much in the polls that the primary is already over before it even started. And in some states, Trump's up 35, 40 points. And that's a jump of, you know, that's a significant jump just in a few weeks since Trump said he was about to be arrested. So it does look like it's helping him. The million dollar question, however, is, um, is this hurting him looking ahead to a potential general yeah. election rematch with, with Joe Biden or a Democrat to be named later. Um, and a lot of the experts that I've talked to and, and heard and, and read about this, they think, yes, that this is hurting uh, Trump's prospect in a general election. That'll chase away independent voters, suburban women, of course, those are the two groups that fled in 2020. Yeah. So, you know, it's good news, bad news for Trump right now. But as Chris Christie said again this morning on ABC this week, for a political candidate getting indicted is never long term a good thing. So it might help him in the primary, but all the experts that, that they're reading the tea leaves now that this hurts Trump in a general election. Well, and I think that any time a billionaire has to go out and fundraise, you know, he's flying his private airplane from Florida to New York, how, how much of a crypt is, I, help me fight. If, if you're a billionaire, you, you shouldn't have to worry about that. He still hasn't found his Roy Cohn though. And that's the guy who said, he, and, and why I think his, he's deflated a little bit is that Roy Cohn said, you, whatever you do, you want to avoid getting arrested because then you can't right. manipulate the word is much. Now, can I just throw an aside in here just for a second? Yeah. Because we all watched that plane for two days this week on cable news. In addition, to, in addition to staring at split screens of building of giant buildings in New York and the buildings, uh, as far as I know, still are declining to comment, even though we covered them all week. Uh, but why does anyone need a modified Boeing 757, <laughs> especially someone so averse reportedly i've had people tell me who were in trump's orbit how meticulously unwilling he is to spend money we know he brags about not paying vendors when lights go out or the speakers don't work at a rally he says at the lectern well we're not paying that guy 
how you know how expensive it is to maintain and operate a 757 when you know you how expensive get, it was you, just to fly from florida to new right. york exactly that's my, that's my point you could get a smaller private jet and save a lot of money so i'll leave it to the to the to the listeners to answer the question of why would anyone need a 757 michael <laughs> well maybe he's got friends like clarence thomas <laughs> <laughs> Frequent flyer miles. There's, there's a segue, but, but, let, but let's stick to Trump for a second, Michael. He's so he is now indicted. He is fundraising off of it. Um, and there are people who are screaming that he's well, there's all kind of uh, Anthony Scarmucci says that Trump will eventually bow out and won't run because he'll pretend he's sick or something. But at the same time, there, you've got Jim Jordan screaming to have the um the prosecutor dragged before Congress to answer questions while you've got in New York people screaming that Jim Jordan should be uh, admonished if, or if not prosecuted for interfering in an, in an investigation. Can he, can that happen? Could he be investigated and charged? I don't think so. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much um, chaos around this, this case. First, the case itself. The case itself is probably legally sufficient to to get to a jury, but I say probably because it's going to be a year at least worth of pretrial motions before this even gets to to a jury. It'd be my my guess because there are so many things that need to be clarified, both as a matter of fact and as a matter of law, and. The fact that you've got people who are liberals, who are legal um, analysts, but political liberals saying, this is a terrible case. It's the wrong vessel to have brought, um, again, to to use, uh, to hold Trump accountable. It it just feeds into the narrative that this was a politically motivated case. So it's a terrible, uh, terrible I guess strike 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 of bad luck or something that um this is the first case to be teed up against uh, the former president when the probability is that there are three more serious cases um in waiting in in the wings so you know it's 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 very difficult to figure out how you measure your desires for accountability which are important versus a bad case that could make bad law that could stretch out for a year or more before we even get any sort of verdict. Now, as to Jim Jordan and others who are essentially threatening Bragg, he, those guys fall uh, behind Donald Trump, who is threatening yeah. not only Bragg, but um, the judge, the judge, the wives of of people. You know, if anyone is going to be held accountable for interfering in or intimidating or some words like that, the 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 proceedings, Donald Trump is first first in line. And I'd be very surprised if the judge uh, doesn't rein him in with some form of modified gag order if he keep if he keeps it up. But Jim Jordan, I don't I don't think so. I mean the can they can the the uh, cases the cases largely ignore him? Yes. I mean, it's an interesting public relations question if you're Bragg 
do you just say, you know, he he's not worthy of my <laughs> attention. This is a rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm not going to be sucked into this conversation. Or do you leave it to Jordan to control, you know, the, the, the message uh, over the course of the investigation? You know, the, the, there's always a debate among prosecutors. Do you say, I'll let my facts and evidence in the courtroom speak for themselves? Or do I have a counter narrative against the, the, the critics? And we saw how it played out with lots of different people, star um, spoke out a lot during the course of his independent counsel investigation to respond to the Clinton uh, attacks on his integrity. Mueller didn't say a word. Um, right. He just spoke with his. He didn't do much his, either. Right, but what he said was, you know, said in 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 court filings. Merrick Garland is sort of somewhere in the middle. He's held one or two press conferences where he's sort of talking about the cases, but giving us a little bit more information about what's going on and timelines and thought processes. So it's not, it's not simple, Brian, to, to figure out as a prosecutor, what you're supposed to do under, under these circumstances, but charging Jim Jordan with, with this, I don't think so. Yeah. That would kind of up the ante for, uh, for the political game. That would kind yeah, of play sure. into what they're saying. Well, that's the, that's okay. exactly the more, I mean, this is what, this is out of Bill Clinton's, um, playbook which is when when star became more aggressive clinton became even more aggressive and uh he painted star as a political uh hack if if jim jordan and others can goad bragg and company into that debate then if they're you know it's like when did you stop beating your wife sort of question yeah right <laughs> you, you you know if if you're saying i'm not political this is not polit if you're in a conversation about whether whether or not this is political i think you're you're losing right so you would let the facts speak for themselves and ignore <clears throat> jim jordan in, in, yeah i would ignore jim jordan um and if you're the and if if it's the president who is the defendant in the case who is doing stuff that has the potential to uh, infect the jury pool or make the trial less than a fully fair trial, then I think Bragg has to go to the court and say, you got to put an end to this. Right. So keep it all in. Well, and then that begs the other question is, for me, as I look at it, um, they're talking about, you had mentioned uh, the Fed, and one of the questions you asked is, why hadn't the federal government indicted him? Um, there's talk now that Georgia may be the next uh, to indict, which would leave the two federal cases, I guess, last. Does that make sense to you? Or, Well, in terms of the gathering of the evidence, you know, you bring a case when you've gathered all the evidence right. that you need to make a decision. The, the federal cases have been hampered by um, people taking um, objection to testifying on the basis of executive privilege or attorney-client privilege or or other things. And the government has been forced to litigate these and they've been winning. And so these witnesses are finally coming in and they're getting to hear their testimony. Georgia had the same problem with people like um, Lindsey Graham and Rudy Giuliani and others contesting their authority uh, to be required to come to court. They too lost, but that was like a month ahead of the wow. federal cases. So I think it's, if you look at the timeline, they're both struggling to 
get recalcitrant witnesses in. Georgia's a little bit ahead of the game, but they're all getting the they're all getting the evidence now. They're all getting the witnesses that they need to make a decision. And the federal cases are a little bit more complicated factually, I think. Um, so Georgia seems logical to be the the next one, but it seems too that the Mar-a-Lago, a decision on whether to charge obstruction in the Mar-a-Lago documents case may be pretty far along too. I, I would think that that would be the easiest case, but I, I mean, only because of the letter that was given and the testimony that's been, we've heard. Well, the oh. thing of it is, is that always you need to prove the actions intent. and the intent of, of Donald Trump. And, you know, there's people who have been saying, well, you know, Donald Trump said to Sean Hannity or he said otherwise that he looked through boxes of documents after the subpoena came in. And that, they say, is an admission uh, that this wasn't accidental. However, my recollection is that those boxes, uh, the reporting is that they were filled with a lot of personal effects um, as well as government stuff. So if he's looking through it to pull out his WWE parent, you know, uh, sweat, right. then that's his prerogative to do that. If he's looking through it to find classified documents, which he says, don't give him this, that's something else. So we don't know what he was doing and what he was saying. And that's what they're <laughs> getting. That's what, but that's what they're getting the evidence from, from Corcoran and the guy who was his body guy who was up in New York with him. Right. I can't remember his name. He was his body man. Yeah. They're One of them was Scott Karam of no relation, but that his first body man in was no, uh, but this is this, this guy. I think his name is begins with an H. I just can't yeah. remember his name. Now, um they're they're getting that testimony. And so if that if those guys are being honest and they're saying and they say Donald Trump told me these classified documents, which I declassified, belong to me, don't give them um up, that's a a stronger case than if they don't have that sort of evidence. So now in, um, in, I want to go back to uh, Georgia for a second. I, I saw an article today that, uh, and, and I'll start with you on this one, John, uh, 20 individuals close to Donald Trump or have been told they're targets of the grand jury and they're potentially looking at Rico charges. So the Teflon Don, if that comes down, baby, What's it going to be like at Mar-a-Lago? <laughs> can I just can I just jump in though before John answers that just to say one thing to your listening audience, which is the Georgia RICO statute is not really equivalent to the federal, federal RICO, RICO statute. RICO in New York and you know rather RICO federally is organized crime uh, in its orientation. It's running yeah. a corrupt organization. Georgia's uh, RICO statute, it really is doing a couple of crimes. So if you do like two or three crimes, um, you can be charged under their RICO statute. So but it, 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 I, yes, it's a terrible sound if Michael, you're, if you're a RICO just, indicted. No, but I just, want to, I just want to make it clear that we're not, that no one is calling the Trump organization, except legal analysts on television who yeah. can't resist um, saying this is a mob organization. It's yeah. not the same. No. I just wanted to say it's not the same. Now, However, John, John that being said, <laughs> multiple crimes in Georgia by the former president of the United States says enough right there. <laughs> John, 
<laughs> I get it. I get it. I just I just didn't want John to yeah. <laughs> get sucked into thinking this is the Gambino crime family. Um, no, no, it's the Trump crime. And and by the way, John, you'll love this. Did you see Trump Jr. who said that if he gets taken down for treason and goes to prison, he's going to say that he's female so he can go to a female prison and have more fun. I cannot believe he said that on television. Well, but uh, I I can believe I'm I missed that, uh, but I can't believe he said that. I'm not shocked in the least. I've always wanted to do this. Let me take these in reverse order. I've seen a lot of politicians do this over the years, and now I finally get to do it. I'm living out the dream today. I may retire right after this podcast. (laughs) I want to go back to what you guys were saying about um, Jim Jordan and charges. Now, what about if Bragg is alluding to federal campaign finance violations of federal campaign finance laws? Because we don't really know what campaign finance violations Bragg is vaguely kind of halfway in some moments and and outright and other moments, especially in the statement of fact uh, document that accompanied the indictment. So he's clearly signaling that he thinks the Trump organization might have um, broken some campaign finance law, but it's not, uh, not clear if he's talking about New York state law or federal law. So I guess we'll find that out uh, when and if this thing goes to trial. So what about then? So if he's talking about federal campaign finance laws, and that seems to me that Jim Jordan in Congress would have a clear jurisdictional argument to at least do their own investigation. I'm not saying they have a right to see the evidence before the trial or or call Bragg and his folks in to testify in open or closed session. No, don't get me wrong. But it seems like if, if, if that's what Bragg is getting at here, that 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 those house committees might at least be able to do might, might have an argument to do their own investigations. I I don't know uh, if that will come to fruition, but you know, we don't think that these um, I we're still looking for evidence that these house investigations are, are anything other than political as much as they scream about politicization or this and that. So, you know, you could add that to the list. Uh, You know, those investigations um, I think it's an objective comment to say they, they seem more about uh, 2024 than anything else. And on your question, Brian, about what would it be like at Mar-a-Lago if um, all 20 uh, Trump circle folks testify in front of the grand jury, I think there would be a lot of cursing at (laughs) Mar-a-Lago, especially from the, uh, the head table at lunch and dinner and from the, uh, and from the, the, the lead golf cart, uh, in the uh, in the main party every day because you know that's that's how the walls really close in the more people we've talked about this before but michael a lot more eloquently than yours truly um you know the more people that go in and the closer you get to the center of as as michael calls it this um hub and spoke type deal which it seems to be what george is doing the closer you get to the to the center of the wheel um not to, I didn't, I didn't mean for this to rhyme, but the, the closer you get to the center of the wheel, the more likely someone who knows something's going to squeal. Yeah. And that's, that's got to make Donald Trump nervous. Uh, he's already been arrested once. He's, he was perp walked. I mean, we got, we're what, 20 something minutes in this, 30 minutes into this. Um, yes. It wasn't a very long perp walk. It was through a little corridor in the, in the courthouse, but there was a perp walk and he was escorted 
by by court police officers. They didn't open. They, and they didn't open the door for him. <laughs> and they made him open the door. I noticed that immediately. I mean, that for yeah. a former or sitting president, that's um, that's salt in the wound. And then he had to fight New York City traffic to get back to LaGuardia, uh, and that was more salt uh, in the wound of of what was maybe a damaging day. We're not sure, but anyway. He he would I I would think he would have to feel very nervous if if all twenty or fifteen to seventeen of these people I miss mean, pretty high odds I'm sure some people are going to fight this uh, we've already seen some fight it and lose and I would assume that most of these people if they did try to fight a coming subpoena from the Georgia grand jury uh, that would also get shot down so most of these folks are going to testify and that can't make Mr Trump feel too good today unless unless uh, he shot well on the back nine, and, and maybe he's in pretty good spirit. <laughs> or he, he got his favorite chocolate Easter egg. That wouldn't make me pretty happy, too. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to touch on the wonderful, wonderful case of Clarence Thomas. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back, and that was Del Shannon with Runaway, which is going to be Donald Trump's theme song, I believe, coming up. Well, uh, next on on our list of things to take a look at, Michael. Uh, <clears throat> I thought, by the way, I thought it was I fought the law and the law won. <laughs> yeah, that's but, a good one too. Let's. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe we'll cue that one up. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so here we have our wonderful um, member of the U.S. Supreme Court being uh, brought along in parties and fun and food and friendship with a guy who's got uh, a signed copy of Mein Kampf, I, I, pictures of Hitler and uh, portraits of his favorite uh, bombastic despots in his backyard. So uh, is, is, is Clarence Thomas of this earth? I, 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 is Clarence Thomas in any political danger or, or prosecutorial danger, Michael? No. <laughs> he isn't he hasn't um done anything illegal that i can tell if, if there was evidence that he took money in exchange for a decision that it impacted his decision then maybe you've got some sort of quid pro quo bribery case what you've got here is a supreme court that is really not governed by any standards of ethics that are known Absolutely. to uh, executive branch officials and um, legislative branch officials. The Supreme Court really uh, has no code of, of behavior that that's mandatory. Uh, and so what this is, is bad ethics, bad optics, bad behavior, but not criminal. Not criminal. How does this, and and John, I'll, I'll turn to you for this. How does this compare, you know, the Tennessee three just got 
two of them were expelled in Tennessee, two black legislators for protesting the fact that Tennessee has not done anything about gun legislation. And there are people who are screaming and ranting and raving that you, you, you try to take care of people and you're screwed. But if you're sitting on the Supreme Court and you take care of, of yourself uh, and, and rich folks, you're fine. And, and now look, <clears throat> Clarence Thomas is African-American, as are those two legislators in Tennessee. So how does that play? What's the optics there? Tell us. Well, the difference is that nothing is going to happen to Clarence Thomas. I'm going to go out on a limb. Um, you know, these these Supreme Court justices, they have a job for life. Um, it's a pretty high bar to, to get removed. Um, they, they've only, know. they only impeached one, I think in 200 yeah. years. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what anyone thinks is going to happen to Justin, uh, Justin Thomas. He plays golf. Uh, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> there we go. I got it out. And, um, <laughs> it's way too much masters this week and <laughs> yeah. there's more to come. And, um, let, you know, the, 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 are they untouchable? Can we be cynical for a moment and just be honest for once and yeah. say, yes, Supreme Court justices are, for the most part, untouchable? Um, so I don't think anything's going to happen. The optics are uh, the two African-American state legislatures uh, were kicked out by, I guess, almost exclusively. All white their, people. Yeah, by I don't know that I haven't looked All at the demographics, people. but yeah, <laughs> by, by, by a white um, opposition party. And, you know, the optics to us, probably not very good. Uh, but to the MAGA, to the MAGA crowd, then, you know, they're probably cheering it and, and, and rooting on uh, and watching it on Fox and Newsmax. And and we're just fine with it. Uh, now, Brian, you and I grew up in the South. And yes, we did. Um, so it probably hits us a little differently when we see those folks escorted out of the chamber uh, as they were now. Now, they did break decorum. It is important to say it was a decorum breach. It was a rules breach, what they did and how they did it with the protest. And the protesters got inside the building. And, you know, to be fair, if I'm going to criticize uh, 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 Justice Thomas and those who expelled the state legislatures, to be fair, you also have to be critical of the protesters. A lot of them who have probably railed against January 6th uh, now, they didn't go in and vandalize the building. I understand that ransack, chant to, to hang people and where's Nancy and all that, uh, all that nonsense. But they did breach a government building after I'm sure many of them said all said critical things about January 6th. So you can't storm a legislative hall and expect no ramifications. But there were other things that could have happened. You could right. have censured them. You could have taken them off their committees. Yeah. You know, we've seen stuff like this before, but you know, they just skipped, they just skipped all of that <laughs> and kicked them out. So, you know, but the, the the response isn't proportional here. They they I do believe they deserve to be punished, but, yeah, but not sanctioned or censured, but to sure I mean, because the people sent them there. They were elected by people. Yeah. Um, you know, they were elected by people in their districts. So, you know, they did deserve to be punished, but let the people kick them out the next election. Right. That, yeah, that's, that's the democratic process. Right. Exactly. Them simply because they don't like them. That's, right. That's, or perhaps other reasons. Yes. Well, yeah. And we know what those other reasons are. It's racism, pure and simple. Um, but let's take that in stride with what also happened this week. The liberals took over 
Wisconsin Supreme Court, and that's been years in coming. Michael, you have that one. Well, this was a big deal because it seems to support the notion that the aftermath of Roe v. Wade is still filtering its way through the political system. In this case, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin was equal Republican and Democrat or conservative and uh, liberal. There was one seat up, an open seat, and it was about who do you want on this court, a Republican conservative or a Democrat liberal? And the Democrat liberal won in Wisconsin by, I believe it was 11 percentage points. And at issue in the campaign for this elected judge was abortion rights, principally, the right of choice. And the pro-choice candidate won, as I said, by about 11 points. And we saw that play out in the aftermath of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. The Dobbs decision had a big impact on voter turnout. And it seems that that still is very much a part of what are what are what is on voters' minds. And so be careful, 2024 Republicans, about um, their messaging around and positions on uh, choice because the American people support choice overwhelmingly. And what we see now is that this is going to be playing out again with this Texas judge, this Amarillo, Texas judge, who just tried to impose a, a ban on the uh, transshipment in, in the mails of what they call an abortion pill, a pill that people can take to help them abort an unwanted pregnancy. Another judge in Washington state issued a conflicting uh, opinion saying that in the 12 states in the District of Columbia that are blue, no such um, prohibition can be uh, brought into uh, being. And so now you've got this conflict between judges trying to issue orders saying it's illegal to uh, mail these pills and others saying it is absolutely not. It's the it's the Comstock Act that's at, at play right. here, which was a, a, you know, goes back to like, you know, Puritan times. It's, you know, might as well reinstate prohibition. This is where these things derive. Well, and, I think they would be happy if we reinstituted prohibition. No, I understand that. But Puritanism. what I'm saying is, so what I'm saying here uh, is that two things have to be seen together, or three things. One, Dobbs, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. Two, the the midterms and what impact that had on on voters. And three, I guess the the continue the tail of that, which is the Wisconsin uh, vote, and now what is going to be set up probably as a a Supreme Court um, case on the propriety of prohibiting the mailing of FDA approved medication. medication. The, the, this this medication, which he says is unsafe, um, has been uh, approved by the FDA for twenty something years. And the thing that is really yes, well, Roe v. Wade was here for what fifty. <laughs> yeah. The 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 thing that is can't lose you can't lose sight of is that there's in Texas the way in most states when you file a federal lawsuit. The, the case goes into sort of a, a wheel. They spin it. And when it stops, like roulette, the name of the judge that's there gets the gets the case. And that's pretty much normal. So you don't have the opportunity to judge shop. 
Um, right. In Texas, there's one one county, I think it's a county, where um, there only, sits only one judge, and they don't use a wheel. So any any case that's brought in that county or area, um, federal district maybe what it is, um, goes to this one judge. And this one judge is a very conservative, Trump-appointed, you know, Christian, conservative Christian. And so they forum shop all these sorts of cases. If you look at all these cases that are challenging all sorts of Biden and other progressive um, uh, legislation, Biden executive orders or progressive rules, they're all stemming from this one guy because they can go right to this judge. They know exactly how he's going to rule. Right. And any any holds true to his ideology. And the, I think the Justice Department is trying to do something about that. You'd think that the chief judge um, for that circuit would try to do something right. about it. But right now, every, everything goes to this one judge. This one judge does what he's done in this case, which is upend lots of uh, things that he doesn't like politically, and then we're stuck with the consequences of it. So that's my long-winded answer to say, stay tuned for 2024 when uh, these Republicans- Will be held accountable. Uh, are, are, you know, no, are, are, I think, making a political, I'm not a political analyst, I'll limit to, to, to Bennett here, but I think they're making a mistake keeping um, this issue front and center. Well, that's my question to you, John. Are they making a mistake keeping it front and center, or are they energizing their base, and are the liberals being too ca uh, cautiously optimistic? Well, <laughs> I'll, again, I'll go in reverse order. I've learned this trick over the years from these elected folks. Um, You're doing it twice in one day. You really can retire a happy man. <laughs> I can. Uh, I don't know what I'll do for money, but we'll figure that out tomorrow, I suppose. Um Going in reverse order. We're going to go in reverse order here. Uh, Democrats, yes, can be often overly optimistic, and then uh, their tactics reflect the over-optimism, and uh, they snatch defeat from the jaws of what should have been victory. So there's a chance here that, that liberals are being a little too uh, culturally optimistic. The flip side of that, however, is when Republicans, especially the, there were a couple on the Sunday shows this morning, when they're asked about all of this, they want to change the subject. They want to talk about uh, one of, uh, I forget who it was this morning said, it was a Republican uh, lawmaker said, well, there are a lot of other issues that are important to women, like the economy, like yeah. inflation. So let's stop talking about abortion. <laughs> uh -huh, right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe uh, the Democrats are onto something here. Maybe it behooves the Democrats to keep this in the headlines and for them to keep talking about it, which then you know, because they say something, our job is to go ask the other guy. And then you go ask the Republicans and they have awkward sound bites that you can turn into 30 second and 15 second ads in the next election cycle. So the fact that Democrats are really uh, beating this drum tells me that they did learn a lesson from 2022, the midterms, yes. and that abortion for them is very much a winning issue, but more to the point that abortion is becoming a losing issue for Republicans. Yes, because a majority of people favor the right. woman's right to choose. With that said, we're going to talk a little bit more about messaging, but we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, oh, the old messaging question. We got to answer it. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. 
If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. Thank you, Michael, for that wonderful recommendation to play The Clash. Uh, uh, I fought the law and the law won. Donald Trump's theme song going into 2024. But let's talk a little bit. We were talking about messaging uh, going into the break. And the Democrats' inability to message. There is an article out in Axios this uh, today. I shared it with you, John, earlier uh, about... um, Joe Biden tried to reach out to um, influencers on social media, treating them. This is a lot like what Trump tried to do, uh, reach out to social uh, um, media and get them to uh, play his his greatest hits. He's had very little success doing that traditionally. It's not he's sitting at 42 percent. They don't uh, tout their own stuff too much. We've both been critical of the fact that they don't seem to be able to tell people or get people on board with what they've done. Um, is that a way to, to better the messaging from the Democrats and from Trump or um, and from Biden? Or do you think that they are hopelessly awash in an inability to send their message? Starting with you, John. You know, some of the things they're trying to do is, is reach younger voters, um, which, you know, it's not a terrible strategy because um, as we were saying before we started, Brian, you know, they don't do a lot to try to reach out to, for instance, African-American uh, males. They don't reach out to uh, anybody. Right. Well, <laughs> they don't they don't do they don't they do a little more to reach out to African-American women. And of course, that's a block that Joe Biden is going to need again uh, in 2024 if he runs for re-election. Um, and not that they're going to go for Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or, or whoever emerges on the red side. But they they just need they need them to vote. They need the numbers in in key places, um, you know, to to pull off the same path or a similar path to victory as Biden had uh, in 2020. So it makes sense maybe to offset some lack of enthusiasm in minority uh, circles that that they would try to jack up uh, the the younger vote, uh, and and certainly you know reaching out to influencers and TikTokers and things that you and Michael and I. Um, probably have no idea how that all really works. <laughs> they've got they've got to reach out to someone, but to your point, can they do it efficiently and effectively, more effectively than efficiently? Can they do it effectively? Either, Either would uh, be we, nice. We haven't seen much evidence uh, that, they, that they'll be able to do that because as you said, it, they just don't resonate. It doesn't resonate. And as I've said here before, when something resonates, like when Biden said Vladimir Putin long-term, could not remain in power and could not rejoin the global order, his staff walks it back. So when Joe yeah. Scranton, when Scranton Joe shows up and resonates with the folk, his staff walks it back. So, you know, it, I think it's a smart strategy to try to reach young voters, but can they do it? Evidence suggests that, that, that probably not. Well, I, I haven't seen anything yet where this 
administration has been affected. We were talking in the break, you know, earlier about the fact that, you know, even Trump, you know, we didn't like what Trump had to say on occasion. He lied to us incessantly, but he always had his people out on, on the North Lawn. They were always on the shows. They were always talking to reporters, always getting his message out. And if if Biden is going to rely on young voters, they notoriously don't vote, but they also are not a majority of voters. And, you know, I, I, I sound like a broken record, like Trump sounded like a broken record, but he got out and hammered it home every day what his message was, and Biden mm-hmm. doesn't do that. And that's, um, and he doesn't engage with the press. And if he's going to engage with social media, what's he going to do? Dictate to them? You still have questions unanswered, and the majority of Americans want those questions answered. So I, I don't know that they're, they understand what communication is all about. And for that, Michael, I guess I'll ask you sitting on the outside, what would you like to see? We, you know, John and I sit on the inside trying to ask the questions. You sit on the outside. What do you think that that Biden needs to do that he's not doing to spread his message? I think he needs to be Harry Truman in a way, which is be out among the people. I think he does. He makes gaps and they walk things back. But I think he's he's a retail sort of guy. And I think that, you know, if he had, you know, whistle stop tours promoting his accomplishments and articulating his vision of what he wants to to do in the coming two or six years, it would behoove him to do that. I don't think that protecting him from himself is an effective strategy because he is who he is. And um, everyone knows that, you know, sort of by analogy, the thing that made me laugh in the the brag indictment of uh, Trump, it said, well, he entered the business records uh, falsely with the intent to do another crime. And that was to deny the voters in New York the information they needed in the days before the election uh, about the, the, the candidates. Well, Trump lost New York by 22 and a half percent. When Trump walked down the escalator, and announces candidacies, New Yorkers knew all they needed to know. So <laughs> it's not like we were sitting on the edge of our seats in New York saying, oh, do we go Trump? Do we go Biden? Do we go Trump? If, and oh my God, if I knew about Stormy Daniels, it would have tipped my vote one way or the other. It, it's a silly thought. And um, I don't know how I got into how you just how followed I your how, how I, keep how going, I, keep, I, going. I, keep going. We love yeah, it. Yeah, I love but, it. But anyway, the point being that um, Trump is who Trump is. Biden is who Biden is. We all know that. We didn't need Stanley, Stormy Daniels to know who Trump was, and we don't need gaff protection uh, to know who Biden is. So I think you sort of let these guys be who they are. And see, you know, where the chips fall. Well, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that if it was uh, Anthony Scarmucci said on a story uh, on a show yesterday, I think it was that he thinks Trump is setting himself up to back out of the race because of some, you know, health concern. True enough, in the past, Donald Trump has said he's running for president, but he said, you never know, some doctor may come along and say, you can't handle it, so he would back out. Not backing out for uh, for any 
legal reason, but backing out, inventing a, a health reason for backing out. And I will he say- He better not call Ronnie Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ronnie Jackson said he's, he's going to live to be 200. And I maintain that if he does live to be 200, he will be in a court of law for all of those years trying to fight his way out. But if Donald Trump, I, I wonder if you look at the landscape, the political landscape, if the reason why we're not seeing President Biden as much as we should, and I will look at this trip he's taking to his to Ireland this week. He's going to Ireland. He's going to visit where his ancestors are from. He's going to visit uh, all go shopping. Go. It's a vacation, folks. It's 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 not a first. It, it's not a first term type of visit. It seems like a second term type of visit to me. And so it leaves me with a question. If one of the reasons why we're not seeing Joe Biden is because if, and the, there are a lot of conditions, if Trump does end up running, I think Biden will run. But if Trump backs out, I don't think Biden runs for a second term. And I think one of the things he's hedging against, and one of the reasons why we don't see him is because he probably isn't going to run for a second term. I know that's not a popular opinion, but it makes me wonder because if you are, if you are interested in a second term, there are certain things that you normally do that we're not seeing Joe Biden do. And that brings up all kinds of questions for me. John? Part of the reason that we didn't see a lot of, of President Biden this week, especially early in the week, uh, clearly the White House wanted to get out of the way of images of Donald Trump being arrested and arraigned um, and flying back and forth and, and looking um, very much like a, a criminal defendant, which is what he now is. <laughs> so, you know, it's the old adage. I just maybe, like saying that. <laughs> Donald may, Trump, may, criminal defendant. <laughs> defendant Trump. Yeah. Uh, as Sun Tzu might have said this, somebody else might have said it. There's controversy about where it came from. But when your enemy is essentially screwing up, get out of the way and let him screw up. Yeah. And that's that's what Biden did, especially the middle part of the week. He had some events later in the week, and then he went to Camp David. Um, of course, the working weekend, Easter weekend with his family at Camp David. A lot of presidents do that. Some went to Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster. That's another story. Um <laughs> I don't so, think Biden's the type that would go to Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not. That's never going to happen. I'll I'll go out on another limb and say that. I'll go out on a limb and say that too. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think it was it was probably a wise strategy for Biden because he he wants to run. If he runs, he wants to run against Trump because they he and his team view Trump as the weakest and most beatable of the Republican yes. candidates. And that's so what Bill Barr said. Of the, yeah. So he has he has an interest in 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 Trump. Um, uh, gaining this advantage that it seems he's gaining in the primary because he wants to run against the guy. Now, later in the week, he went to Camp David to be with his family, his grandkids. Um, the White House put out some pictures of him working from there. So um, some of it was just timing with Easter weekend. Now, I had not thought of the angle that you brought up with the trip to Ireland, which very much does seem like a second term thing. Yeah. And why go now? They say it's linked uh, to the Good Friday uh, agreement, the anniversary, big anniversary of that. Um, but he's not going to King Charles's coronation in London. So um, 
you know, you you do raise a very good question, and I'm gonna have to noodle that uh, a little bit longer. Um, I did ask a few folks, well, why why is Biden going to Ireland right now? Just just why did, right. is it just because? And the answer I got from several folks was, it seems like because you know he's has a a lot of Irish ancestry and he just wants to go. Yeah. So that's that's the thinking around town. Um, we'll see how this plays when you got a 40, 42% approval rating. Um, it's, it's definitely a questionable trip. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. He's 80 Donald Trump, 76. I don't want to get one of these guys running in 2024 to be honest, but the Democrats don't have anybody on their bench that could, that could carry. And the Republicans are even worse strapped than the Democrats for viable candidates. If, if Ron DeSantis, is your next best, you're screwed. <laughs> who, I mean, who else, you know, if, if Biden, again, I think I've said this last week. I think we both Biden, vote for Michael. Biden has not, I think Michael should run. Yeah. Biden, ha, Biden has not, that we know of, and boy, this would have come out, and we would have seen people making the moves. He hasn't whispered to folks that, hey, folks yeah. need to start doing the things nationally and in key swing states that that any viable general election candidate uh, would need to do raising money, organizing a staff, getting the ground game going, all those things that you have to do. Biden hasn't made that that we know of. Um, and there's no evidence that he's whispered that to anyone. No, there is none, except maybe to Robert Kennedy. <laughs> Who knows? And and with Trump again, which you know, which Robert Kennedy, the the alive one or the or the junior, <laughs> the, the dead one or the? Are you implying that he's talking to the late Robert Kennedy or, or junior? Junior, another junior is involved in the story. Another nepo baby. That's as Saturday Night Live. Refer, if you don't get a chance to see it, you should check out the Saturday Night Live. Uh, a version of the uh, Last Supper where Trump comes out and says, like, Jesus, I'm persecuted. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like Jesus. I'm a Messiah. <laughs> he says, Jesus had it better than me. He was a Nepo baby. His his dad was God. I don't have God as my dad. So it was that was funny. But yeah, anyway. It's sort of a riff on Mel Brooks being the waiter at the Last Supper. Yes. Um, <laughs> great, 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 great scene. In okay. History of the World Part Two, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, then Michelangelo comes in. He's going to paint the Last Supper. And he says, "No, this is not good. You're sitting on both sides of the table. I can't paint these people's backs. Let's <laughs> move her." <laughs> so, Saturday Night Live, I expect, uh, appropriated a lot of Mel Gibson. Mel, uh, uh, Mel. Well, maybe they, maybe it was Mel Gibson. <laughs> right. Others have appropriated Mel Gibson. Yeah, maybe they, it was they're mostly run, they're mostly elected officials in the state of. Tennessee. Oh, good lord! Yes. So we're we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, the thing that we cannot avoid any longer: climate change in Major League Baseball. Stick around; we'll be right back. Coming back in three, two, one. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. With me again is the ever excitable uh, John Bennett from a CQ Roll Call. And uh, calm down, John. And then uh, <laughs> our You favorite... don't have to put up with that, John. Yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> and our former favorite federal prosecutor, Michael you. Zeldin. <laughs> hey, so Michael, you sent this thing out and it was really kind of uh, that um, Major League Baseball 
is uh, being threatened by climate change, or at least we're seeing more uh, home runs because of climate change. And I thought it was juiced bats and steroids. Who knew? Yeah, so there was an article by a science writer for the AP named uh, Seth Borenstein. And he published an article on in April uh, 7th of, of this year. So just, just two days ago, you can go to apnews.com and see it. And the headline is, climate change is making baseball sluggers into even hotter hit hitters, sending an extra 50 or more home runs over the fences, a new study found. Hotter, thinner air allows balls to fly farther, contributing a tiny bit to the surge in home runs according to the Dartmouth College scientists who published a study in the Bulletin of American Meteorological, the American Meteorological Society. So there we have it. It's, it, you know, let Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and those guys <laughs> into the Hall of Fame because it was really the weather <laughs> that, that that caused the, this home run explosion and nothing to do with, uh, with steroids. I'm not buying that. I'm saying it was <laughs> juice bats and steroids. John? <laughs> oh, man. Fake Why? news. Fake news. There, I mean, I understand that we're devoting more resources to covering this stuff, but there is some hyper extension going on to make everything into a climate story. Listen, this besmirches the efforts and talents of these guys their genetic gifts the pitch clock this year for instance there's so much that goes on here supplements that go right up to the line of mlb rules to be legal or not because of how the body because of what they do to the body and and and, and the artificial benefits uh, performance enhancers so you know not everything is about a two a two degree temperature change over 15 years sometimes a guy just <laughs> Sometimes a guy just works his ass off in the offseason and come comes back and starts jacking bombs. Yeah. And good for him. That's the American way. And that's the way it is. It's the American way. Your people are all, I'm bigly in behind this. It's not about the climate change. There is no climate change. <laughs> well, as soon as he weighs in on this, and I think- Oh my God, standing, I'm waiting for that. Right. Well, I think it was Shannon Bream this morning to stick with the, the sports theme because it made me think of this. Shannon Bream uh, said something on, on Fox News Sunday questioning one of her guests and said she, she let in. She said something about everything becoming politicized. And uh, I thought to myself with Brooks Kepka leading the Masters, um, you know, he plays on the Live Golf Tour. He left the PGA Tour, went to the Saudi funded Live Golf Tour, which, of course, played his championship uh, at a at a Trump club last year, played at <laughs> Bedminster last year, is playing at other, playing even more events this year at at, at Trump courses. So if Kepka wins the Masters here in a few hours, and he's as we tape, he's just teed off the fourth round, and he's still up by two. If he wins this thing, get ready for the Truth Social post. And now even the Masters will be yeah. part. Well, I mean, you saw that when uh, Donald Trump was at a wrestling event last night. Man, that made it was everywhere. Everything is politicized. I, I Everything mean, he touches, endorses, yeah. seems to like just instantly becomes politicized. So um, we're we're it looks Kepka is playing solid right now. Somebody's got to catch him and pass him. Uh, uh, so you know we're we're in the last few hours of the masters being something that for the most part unites the country if, if trump weighs in on this 
you know, goodbye to the Masters too. I mean, everything else is is being lost to politicization. Why not this too? <laughs> Michael, I'm I just want him to make the bases smaller. <laughs> I, I favor no bases. Let's, <laughs> we can argue about where the bases would have been were they there. Yeah. I was saved because imaginary ba- imaginary man on second. <laughs> right. That's right. Kind of, that's where I want I want to go back to the schoolyard. <laughs> anyway. Right. right. I, I liked it that way when you just uh put a bottle cap down on the field and say that's second base. And yeah. Though it's maybe politically incorrect to to say it. Um Bill Cosby had a wonderful routine about yes. kids playing ball and saying, All right, you will be the bottle cop. I don't want to be the bottle cop. I want to be the matchbook, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Before we knew what Bill Cosby was, um, he was a very funny man. Yes. Yes, he was. I don't think there's anybody that will dispute that. They may not like him, but he was funny. And if you listen to his early stuff, you can't deny it. And as, as I like to say, comedians that make me laugh are comedians that make me laugh. I don't take it any more serious than that. However, I will ask you this. Here's the the letter, and it, this is one I, I it's to you, Michael. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question right now. Do you think that Donald Trump will ever? And we've talked about this a lot. Do you think that Donald Trump will ever apologize or admit that he did anything wrong or go to jail? I'll, I'll, that's it was specifically to you, but I'll I'll let you both answer that question from one of our listeners. So I guess the the proposition is he's convicted of something and the judge says, speak up. And the answer is, if you apologize, I won't send you to jail or I'll send you to jail. I, I expect that he goes to jail, but. <laughs> he he ain't apologizing even if he's facing the news. <laughs> I, I I don't see him as an apologizing sort of guy. If if the question posed is somewhere between now and uh, indictments or jury trials and these things, does Donald Trump, you know, sort of do a checkers styled Nixon speech where he says that he's sorry? Um, I, I don't think that's possible. I just don't think he has the DNA or the self-awareness to appreciate that maybe he actually is responsible for his for some of his actions and he is not the victim of persecutions by uh everybody um uh, that surrounds him i just you know you'd, you'd hope that he would have some self-awareness but it just doesn't seem likely and so if he if the choice is apologize to go to jail i, I say he goes to jail uh, but uh, if the seriousness of the question is also, do I think yeah. do I think that any of these crimes will uh, result in a conviction, the allegations of criminal behavior, end in a conviction where a federal or a state judge would sentence Trump to a jail term? That is a really hard question that I don't know the answer to. But it also invites the question: Were he in indicted and convicted in a federal case what do you do and and biden is still president what do you what do you do do you pardon him and say the trump era is over and it's time to move on you sort of like gerald ford and richard nixon or do you say 
it's about time he was held accountable for a life of misbehavior and I'm just not going to get involved. That That is, I think, one of the more interesting things to ponder uh, should that eventuality arise. How about you, John? You know, I know a guy this week on rollcall.com who wrote a column about what Biden and governors and future presidents might do. Uh, and 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 they might study Gerald Ford's speech about pardoning Nixon as as the it's the only guidebook we got, as I say at the end of the column. So uh, thank you, Michael, for that smooth segue to my shameless plug. <laughs> and then I'll say, um, I'll say this: that what's more likely to me, and I'm not a legal expert, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express after a Trump rally one time. <laughs> that what's more likely than Trump apologizing would be at least his team exploring or proposing some plea deals for lesser sentences and guilty pleas. Uh, and those lesser sentences may include keeping him out of jail for the rest of his life. Um, I think that would be the closest that we would ever get to an admission or an apology of anything. Uh, but the point of changing the plea would be to bring the sentence down. And, yeah. I, and I think that that fits more with Donald Trump's MO and who he is and his ego uh, than apologizing for for anything. And you know, someone once suggested to me that a good way to deal with a lot of this stuff is for there to be some sort of agreement, but I don't know how it's enforceable, where Trump agrees in exchange for dismissal of charges or some such thing to bow out and not run for political office again and just sort of recede into the into the sunset. Uh, I, again, I don't know how he has the, the genetic competency, capability to recede yeah. into the sunset. But if there That's was a question. real serious case pending against him and a, a bargain was put on the table, if you drop out, um, we can we can work out uh, a resolution that doesn't include jail or if some such thing. If you could say thing. that he was bowing out for health reasons, perhaps. If well, if you remember, look, again. if you remember... Um, you know, we've talked about how this case is so unique, the the indictment of a former president, and it is because there was an actual indictment. But right. but for the Ford pardon, uh, Leon Jaworski, the special counsel, uh, would have indicted Richard Nixon. Robert Ray, who took over from Ken Starr, would have indicted Bill Clinton. He impaneled a grand jury and took all this evidence after the star case was uh, right. done and said to Clinton, if you give up your law license and do some other things, I won't indict you. And, and Clinton took that deal. So you have, you know, the possibility of two former presidents being on the, on the cusp of being indicted. One gets off because of a pardon, the other one because of a plea deal. You can think about some sort of scenario here where something akin to one of those things or a combination of those, those things is presented. I don't know how yeah. it plays out, but th there's some, there's gotta be some, you know, sort of seed for a future John Bennett column on, 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 on. All on I'm saying topic. is I just wrote that down on my list of ideas. Thank you, Michael. And I will uh, be I'm reaching out. This. I'll be reaching out for an on the record quote. I'm going right. to say this. Donald Trump does not have the mental acumen to make that deal. And, and I'll say this as well. I think what this indictment has done, we've talked about how it may be the weakest of all cases. 
but what this indictment has done for future federal office holders, including members of the Supreme Court, is to show that you're going to get a case brought against you. You can get a case brought against you. You will be indicted that, you know, the, the law can come for you. In other words, we're all equal under the wall. I think this is one of the cases that will be like the dam bursting for those who are miscreants in the federal uh, office holders, <clears throat> our federal office holders who think they can get away with everything. I don't think they'll be able to anymore. And I'll remember what President Ford said when he said, you know, the biggest mistake he ever made was um, pardoning Richard Nixon. He said he was going to go to hell for it. I don't think so, but I don't think we're going to see that with uh, with Donald Trump because I don't think Donald Trump has the wherewithal to accept any type of defeat. I think he'll go, he'll take it to the grave with him, trying to grift and raise money the entire time. So on that upbeat note, we're going to end it. And we're going to thank everybody for uh, being with us. It's just asked the question. And where can we catch you once again, John? Uh, every Friday, uh, weekly column on rollcall.com. And usually three days a week on CQ, CQ afternoon briefing newsletter. And Michael. I host the podcast That Said with Michael Zeldin on all podcast apps. This coming week, we are releasing a book called Shout saying it loud, rather. I should say it again. It's a say it loud. podcast. It's it's a podcast that is book centric. It's not law and politics. It's different books. And this book by Mark Whitaker is called Saying It Loud, How 1966 Changed the Civil Rights Movement. And then the following week, I believe we'll be releasing the Win Every Argument book uh, with Mehdi Hassan. So we'll stick around for stay that. Stay tuned. Yep. And this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kiermey. Catch me on salon.com and wherever fine books are sold, it's called Free the Press. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next week.